0: Public health officials play a huge role in the control of spread of diseases, including monkeypox. So what's been done so far to stop the spread, and what kind of role do primary care physicians play in that? Welcome to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. John Russell. And here to share his insights on monkeypox and the role of public health in stopping the spread is Dr. Randy Young, former director of the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at the Milton Hess Hershey Medical Center, a practicing pulmonary and critical care physician and fellow ReachMD host. Dr. Young, welcome to the program. Thanks, John. It's really nice to be here with you. So let's begin with some background. So what can you tell us about monkeypox and and how can we identify this disease in our offices? Well, monkeypox is
1: actually a fascinating illness. As you know, the virus is a member of the orthopoxvirus family, which also includes some serious players like smallpox and the vaccinia strain, which is what's used for the smallpox vaccine that's largely discontinued around the world. And thankfully, compared to the disease that used to be associated with smallpox virus or variola, the monkeypox clinical syndrome is generally much milder. It, like many viral illnesses, is recognized almost entirely on the basis of the the clinical syndrome that people present with. They they have flu-like symptoms that are very nonspecific at first. They have headache that's very prominent, lots of myalgias, fever, and the fatigue that people get is apparently very severe. And then ultimately, they develop this rash that goes through a series of stages. It starts out as little reddish macules and ultimately becomes vesicles and then pustules and scabs. And it is the, the fluid, not only bodily fluids, but the fluid from these skin lesions that is the the mechanism of transmitting the disease from one to the next.
0: You mentioned vaccines and we're on the radio, so people can't tell you and I sound so young, you know, on the on the radio. But you and I probably received a smallpox vaccine prior to them going away in 1972.
1: That's correct. And and I tell people when I introduce myself to patients that the only thing young about me anymore is my name. So I'm way past sort of physiologic youth. But as you point out, uh, nobody's been vaccinated in the United States in 50 years. So there is now this enormous population of people who who don't have smallpox immunity and therefore not necessarily much monkeypox immunity.
0: So kind of two kind of follow-ups for more mature clinicians like you and I, how much protection is that 50 plus year old smallpox vaccine giving you and I if we encounter this new virus? It's honestly
1: hard to say for sure because we have so little experience with it, but it probably provides some. The good news is that in almost all cases, monkeypox remains a self-limited illness. It rarely goes on to disseminate or cause serious disease, and the people who find themselves at risk for that are, are people who either have extensive disease and it continues to progress, or people who are immunocompromised. And those are the people who need to be considered for therapy.
0: So there's a newer vaccine that's now available for monkeypox slash smallpox. Could you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, I'll confess that I don't have any real personal experience with it, but it is held to be safe. It is the WHO and CDC's recommendation that it not be given to uh, people on a broad basis at this point in time, but that if somebody is immunocompromised and is at risk for developing a severe case of monkeypox, then vaccination might be appropriate. As you also know, there's an antiviral drug called TPOX that has been approved very recently, by the FDA for the treatment of monkeypox, but I, I think you know, we, we all may have to come to grips with this over the next several months.
0: So it sounds like the vaccination strategy, though, is going to be a big part of the public health response.
1: I think so. Uh, the, uh, case identification, quarantine slash isolation, and vaccination, I think, are going to be the three pillars uh, of the response to this as they, as they are for, for many public health outbreaks.
0: So as you and I and everyone who's listening is just emerging from a, a long period of time taking care of of a virus that no one knew a whole lot about, you know, three years ago. You know, do you think this is just something that's part of the 24-hour news cycle, or do you think that this is something that we're going to be dealing with for a while?
1: I'm concerned that we're going to be dealing with it for a while. I don't think it's going away. Most of the cases that have been identified in the U.S. cannot be tied directly back to a Central or Western African exposure, so there's got to be some spread going on outside of completely endemic areas. And I think that we need to be able to recognize it and and put into place the appropriate public health responses. I I think people in your situation and mine, you know, actively practicing on the front lines need to, to be able to tap into that public health response very quickly and easily. And maybe that's one of the good things that's happened in the setting of COVID is that we are now much more aware of the importance of of epidemiology and, and effective public health programs,
0: so it has a relatively long kind of incubation period, correct?
1: It does, and that makes uh, that makes contact tracing difficult because there, for any one of us who develops a case, there's a bunch of
0: people to whom we might have been exposed. My understanding is during this asymptomatic time, people aren't infectious.
1: That's apparently the case. That's true. The people who are are clearly infectious when they're having skin to skin contact doesn't appear to be sexually transmitted, but the closeness that's involved in romantic encounters is certainly a risk factor. And then once people develop the blisters, they're not only shedding bars in that blister fluid, but they're probably shedding bars in other bodily fluids as
0: well. So what do you think the consequences are going to be for the world, for our country with regard to this? Is this just something that has scary pictures, but not scary outcomes?
1: I think that's a good description. I think, thankfully, the vast majority of people who develop monkey punks have self-limited disease. The skin lesions heal. They may scar a little bit, but they don't propose, a, um, in the vast majority of cases, a, a significant threat to life or limb. There do not appear to be frequent cases of visceral organ disease, lung disease, myocarditis, hepatitis, you know, nephritis, things like that. And the, the sepsis syndromes that we become familiar with um, in the setting of, of SARS-CoV-2 or some of the other viruses we've been dealing with don't appear to be a very prominent feature of the disease.
0: So for someone like myself who can be on the front lines of kind of patient encounters and maybe that that first rash or that first fever or that first swollen lymph node might present, you know, to someone like myself, how important is it for, you know, the average primary care clinician in any town USA to start developing a little knowledge about this?
1: I think it's vital. I mean, there have been cases now spread from coast to coast here in the U.S. There is a bunch of cases on the East Coast, a bunch of cases on the West Coast, and a few in the Midwest, Illinois, places like that. And um, I I think there's a significant chance that urgent care centers and, and primary care practices are going to be the initial points of contact for subsequent cases as they accrue. The important thing is going to be to have a high index of suspicion. For you know anybody who develops a blistering rash, and I think things in the differential will be sort of shingles and and some of the other viral illnesses that we encounter. Thankfully, we don't see a bunch of chickenpox these days, so that should be easily ruled out if people have had the appropriate vaccines. I think uh, not only recognizing it early so we can protect ourselves against transmission from uh, a skin lesion we generally examine. Many of us examine patients still without gloves on, even if there's a rash, and then that's probably something that should change. Anytime somebody presents with a flu-like illness, we, we probably need to ask them some relevant historical
0: questions. Yeah, and, and you had mentioned that, you know, it, it, the largest population has been in the group of men who have sex with men, not an STI, but I, but I think in that, in that arena, you know, anyone I might see who I think might have genital herpes, or a shanker right. or something like that, I might need to take pause and not, and not jump to, you know, one of our tried and true STIs, but think, right. you know, could it be one of these viruses?
1: Exactly. I think the, the main thing that will differentiate the, the more traditional STIs from this is the relative lack of systemic symptoms in the syphilis, gonorrhea, genital herpes uh, patient. Hopefully the, the monkeypox patient who happens to have similar lesions will be recognizable based upon the history of headache, fever, swollen lymph nodes, fatigue, myalgias.
0: For those just tuning in, you're listening to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. I'm Dr. John Russell, and I'm speaking with Dr. Randy Young about monkeypox and the role that public health plays. So we're both in Pennsylvania. What do you see the role of of Pennsylvania Department of Health or other state departments of health versus the CDC in some of the testing?
1: Well, I, I think uh, I think we're blessed to have a, a pretty strong department of public health here, especially in some of the cities that, that have extraordinarily good mm-hmm. public health departments. I worry a little bit about exhaustion on the part of our public health departments because they've been so under the gun. But I, I think they're going to be absolutely vital in, in helping to coordinate our response.
0: And I think one of the things kind of testing-wise is, and that's why you, this, these numbers seem to change by the day, is our health departments can identify something as an orthopox virus, but but it really, the CDC has to identify it as monkeypox.
1: Yeah, some of the PCR-based assays aren't yet widely available, and the more specific assays aren't widely available in, in the community departments.
0: So, you know, you and I have seen kind of a lot over our careers and we have seen other infectious entities come and stay. And we've seen other stuff that kind of came and went more or less. What would be your final tips if you've kind of been on the the end of the critical care spear? What are some of the reassuring things you could have? And what are some of the wisdom that you could pass on from your career? Well, as you point out,
1: my career and maybe yours to a a very similar extent has been bracketed by two pandemics. I, I was in training when we first started seeing our cases of HIV before we even knew what it was. The very first scientific paper on which I worked and published was an HIV paper in the mid 1980s, and and now the the SARS-CoV-2 epidemic of the last three years. I think I think we've learned a number of things, some medical, some philosophical. Uh, our pharmaceutical system and our public health system really shows a remarkable ability to rise to challenges and there's a lot of controversy about that in the, the public at large but i think what was accomplished with with covid and, and our approaches to it has been nothing short of truly remarkable so so that's a, a positive thing i think the the potential for despair and discouragement about yet another pandemic is very real especially for people who, as you earlier said, are still kind of on our heels reeling from the traumas of these last couple of years. So I think we need to be sure to do a lot of self-care, a lot of care for each other, and and do our level best to get accurate health information out there about things like this. And that, that needs to be targeted not only at professional audiences, but at lay audiences.
0: So with those insights in mind, I want to thank my guest and fellow ReachMD host, Dr. Randy Young, for sharing his perspectives on monkeypox and its potential impacts on public health. Dr. Randy Young, it was great A pleasure to speak with you today. Thanks for joining me.
1: It was my pleasure entirely. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm Dr. John Russell. To access this and other episodes in our series, please visit reachmd.com cliniciansroundtable clinicians roundtable where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.